The following message is by Pastor Brandon Dyer of Windsor Christian Fellowship. For more information on our church, visit www.windsorchristianfellowship.org. As we begin, I want to just bring to your mind a couple statistics from the Schaefer Institute concerning pastors that was done several years back. This was a questionnaire that was given to over a thousand pastors, and this is some of the information from that survey. Concerning hours and pay, 90% of the pastors report being working between 55 to 75 hours per week. 50% of pastors feel unable to meet the demands of the job, and 70% of pastors feel grossly underpaid. Training and preparedness, 90% of pastors feel they are inadequately trained to cope with the ministry demands. 90% of pastors also said that ministry was completely different than what they thought that it would be like before they entered the ministry. Health and well-being, 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. 50% of pastors feel so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but have no other way of making a living. That's astonishing. One in every two pastors that were surveyed would leave the ministry if they could find another way to make a living. Concerning marriage and family, 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. 80% of spouses feel the pastor, their husband, is overworked. 80% of spouses feel left out and underappreciated by church members. Concerning church relationships... 70% do not have someone they consider to be, 70% of pastors do not have someone they consider a close friend. 40% report serious conflict with a parishioner or a church member at least once a month. And this is kind of startling here with longevity. 50% of the pastors starting out will not last five years. One out of every 10 ministers will actually retire as a minister in some form. So, As far as ministers are concerned, only one out of ten are going to have their ministry and retire as a pastor. Over 1,700 pastors left the ministry every single month last year in 2013. And over 1,300 pastors were terminated by the local church each month, many without cause. And these are astounding findings. And to be clear, I don't bring up these survey results to subliminally tell you how I feel or anything like that. But I bring them up to show you how pastors across the country feel. You, you can get a sense in some of these findings that there's a, there's a real angst and a struggle that pastors and elders deal with on a consistent basis. While it, it's not true that, while it is true that the pastoral ministry or the ministry of an elder, it, it's certainly not for everybody. It is certainly for some people. Now with these kinds of well-known struggles, it is often difficult for men to want to step forward to this kind of a calling. Why would you want to be a pastor or an elder when you know that stuff like this is going on? This is the way that many feel. It's almost humorous in 1 Timothy 3 that we're going to be looking at in the first verse there. It mentions the, the desire. If somebody desires the office of an overseer, when you think of desiring to be a pastor in light of all of these difficulties that pastors go through, why would somebody ever want to be a pastor if these things are true, or at least generally true, of a lot of pastors? If churches are known for unhappy 
complaint, people complaining about everything the pastor does, if the salary isn't all that great, if there's no 401k, if there's no pension, if the burden is not only shared by the pastor, but it's also passed on to his wife and to his children, and if the hours are long, why would anybody want to be a pastor? And I think the answer has to, in some way, at least be bound to the fact that a pastor desires the ministry Because they desire to serve God and to serve His people despite any difficulties that are there. Very simply, a man who desires to be an elder, a man who desires to be a pastor, desires to shepherd the flock of God to the glory of God. And so even in our own congregation, as Lord willing, God raises up men for this task. Let's say that we found such a man or men. In spite of all the known difficulties of leading a church, you have a man who desires to be a pastor. What should this man look like? That's a really important question to ask because we are all affected by leadership in some way. We're all affected whether it's the government or whether it's our job or whether it's a church or whatever. We are all affected by leadership. So when a man steps up, and according to 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, he said, I desire the office of an elder. I desire to be a pastor. What should that man look like? What should his qualifications be? And what should the task be that he sets his hand to? And so we're going to answer these questions with a couple passages this morning. But the first is 1 Timothy 3. Look there with me and we'll begin reading in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. And the word for overseer there means an elder or a pastor or so forth. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So within these several verses here, you have a very easy breakdown of what the qualifications of an elder are. Between verses 2 and 3, there's this focus on a man's personal example or his personal character. Between verses 4 and 6, you have the example in a home, in the home. What is this man's character? What is his example with his home? And then in verse 7, there's this specific uh, mention of being thought well of by outsiders. So what is his example in the world? But first, his personal example. A pastor or an elder should be above reproach. And really, this is an all-encompassing quality that that the rest of these qualifications fall under. That a man must be above reproach. A man who desires this noble task of shepherding God's people must be blameless, is another way to say it. And that's quite difficult for all of us, isn't it? Is there anyone who can raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm blameless. You can't pin any sin against me. None of us can raise our hand and say that. But it's, it's a real general statement saying to be above criticism. This is somebody who conducts themselves in a blameless way. They're not known for not being above reproach. They're not known for not being blameless. Paul isn't trying to to make it so that a pastor or an elder, somebody serving God's flock, has to be perfect. But he is saying 
that he needs to be above criticism. He needs to be above reproach. And this man of God, this pastor, is to be upright in his character, as you see in the following verses. Look at verse 2 again. Therefore he must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So let's just kind of walk through these briefly together. He is to be the husband of one wife. And this can be taken in several different ways. Being a husband of one wife certainly implies that he is not to be a polygamist. And although that might be a little silly to us, that may be something through different parts of the country here even, and different parts of the world, that that might be a struggle, and throughout time it certainly has been. But a pastor is to be a, a one-woman man, as the text is really implying here. So he is to be the husband of one wife, a one-woman man. He is not to be a polygamist. He is not to be the kind of guy that is known for uh, being a player or being the kind of person who is... Uh, going off on his wife and so forth. That is not the kind of man who is a husband of one wife. A man who is a husband of one wife and he is above reproach within that category is he is a one woman man. His wife is his crown and she is worth far more than rubies to him. So the man who would desire the office of an elder must be the husband of one wife. But he's also to be, look there again, sober-minded and self-controlled. So sober-minded. What do you think of when you think of the word sober-minded. What is a sober individual? What is a sober-minded individual? What is a self-controlled individual? This is a a man who's not given to the giddiness of the world. Not not that he doesn't enjoy life. Not that he doesn't, uh, not that he's not a happy person. He certainly should be. But he he doesn't let the giddiness of the world overtake him. There's There's a sobriety about him and his character. He's a steady person. He's self-controlled. So he's, he's not up and down. He's not all over the place in terms of his emotion. His heart isn't sitting on his sleeve for everybody to see. He is a self-controlled individual. Doesn't lash out. He doesn't lose himself in certain moments. Which leads us to the next, which says to be respectable. The man of God is to be respectable. You don't want pastors, you don't want elders in your life whom you cannot Respect. Respect is really one of those things for all of us that I think is pretty cut and dry, isn't it? You, you learn pretty quickly when you meet somebody and you start to talk to somebody. You, you feel out pretty quickly if you actually respect that person or not. But somebody who's being raised up for an elder and being analyzed to see if they should be an elder or a pastor, they should be somebody who is respectable. Next, he's to be hospitable. So his home is open to the needs of the congregation. His, his, he houses those who are in need. He shares his meals with other people. He is a hospitable person. This is the kind of heart he has to care for the flock. But then in the end of verse 2, Paul mentions that one of the qualifications for an elder is that he is to be able to teach. And this is different from all of the other qualifications. If you notice, really, as you look through these qualifications, who among us you know, should not be self-controlled? Shouldn't we all? Shouldn't we all be hospitable? Shouldn't we all uh, be sober-minded and on and on? But being able to teach is something that has not, is not a gift that has been given to every person. But an elder or a pastor needs to be able to teach and preach the word of God in some manner. 
So again, all of these qualifications can be and should be done by everybody in the church. We should all be hospitable, respectable, self-controlled. But being gifted to teach is not something that everyone has been given. Yet an elder, at least in some capacity, is gifted to teach. So what is going on here is that he is able to teach the truth, but he is also able to sniff out error. So he's able to to stand with the word or sit with you with the word and teach you the things of God. But he is also needed to be able to sniff out error. When there's error that is creeping into the church, theological problems that are creeping into the church are somebody who is not teaching the word of God correctly. An elder needs to be able to sniff that out. He needs to be able to deal with that. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the preaching and the teaching. So this man must not only be exemplary in his character, but he must also be able to teach the word of God and defend the word of God from its critics. But notice in verse 3, he is not a drunkard. So he is not given to much wine, other translations say. Substances do not control him. He is instead filled with the Spirit of God, as Paul mentions in Ephesians. But then Paul rattles off several in a row that are closely connected. He is not violent, but he is gentle. He is not quarrelsome. So an elder is not violent. When you are assessing him and asking him about his home life, you don't start to hear that he raises his hand to his wife or to others. He is a gentle man. He is not quarrelsome. He's not looking for a fight. He's not looking for an argument. He's not looking to get into it with people. He is not quarrelsome. He is not given to brawling, as some translations say. So we see first with the qualifications of an elder that he is to be exemplary in his personal character. But second, he is to be a proven example of leadership within his home. Look at verse 4. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God? So notice, he, he must, the word must, manage his own household well. The word for manage means to direct, or to lead, or to rule. He is to lead well in his home. Verse 4 says he's, he is to lead with all dignity in his home. So there's a certain way in which he's supposed to lead. He leads with dignity. And part of displaying his leadership ability is how his children respond to him. That's kind of tough because kids can be pretty fickle, can they not? And so a leader, though, he is exemplary in his home. So as you're assessing him for leadership, does he have unruly children? Or are they submissive to his leadership? Are they guided by him? To paraphrase what Paul says in Titus chapter 1, which is a parallel of this, his children should be believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So as his children grow, they show evidence of faith, which again is tough because we cannot control that. I cannot force Nora to make a profession of faith. But Lord willing, she will. But if not, she should certainly not be open to the charge of debauchery or open to the charge of being insubordinate, where she is known for being an insubordinate child. Look at the rhetorical question again that he asked in verse 6. If someone does not know how to manage his own household, how is he going to care for God's church? 
So this is one of the clearest ways that we can see if a man is ready to steward the church of God. Can he steward his own family? And I think something else that we need to notice, that if, if the man has young children and they grow up and they are becoming known for being insubordinate and they are debaucherous and they are wicked, the man has become disqualified because he has not been able to manage his own household well. He has not been able to keep his children submissive and to teach them the ways of the Lord and honoring the Lord. This is difficult because it's completely outside of our control. And many churches get in a difficult situation where here's the pastor and their child, 12, 13, 14, 15, every single year things just get worse and worse and the child's life is crumbling. And the pastor needs to leave the ministry because he has not taken care of his family. But verse 6, Paul touches again on the life of a man. He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Is this not so often what happens? That when a young believer begins to grow in their faith, and if they're given a massive responsibility, it is so easy as a young believer to, to become ensnared by this kind of arrogance that could come with the, the responsibilities and the privilege of being in this kind of position. And Paul says that if that happens, then you have given them over to Satan, essentially. That's what's going to happen. A young believer given this kind of position is going to be filled up with conceit and pride, and then they will fall into the condemnation of the devil. This is partly why, in another passage, Paul says not to be quick in the laying on of the hands. Don't be quick to ordain a man to the ministry, but they are to be tested first. And so the qualifications for an elder, when we are in the process of examining a man, what is his personal character? What is his example even within his own home? But then third, what is his example in the world? Look at verse 7. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, again, into the snare of the devil. And this is really one of the more interesting qualifications as we think about it a little bit, because we know that as Christians, we will often not be thought well of by outsiders. But the implication here is that this man is not is known for the qualifications of above. So as you're assessing a man in order for him to be an elder or a pastor in the church, if he holds a job outside of the church, you are to go you can go to his employer if you did go to his employer and you asked, "Hey, is this individual is he a sober-minded man? Is he self-controlled?" Do, do you get the sense that he cares about his family? Or when he's in the workplace, is he, does he have a wandering eye? Does he flirt with other women within the office? And on and on, you can ask all of these questions. And whether the employer likes that individual or not, they can at least readily admit, yes, I, I don't agree with him and what he thinks about the Bible. I don't agree with him what he thinks about God. But he is a self-controlled man. He is a hard worker. He does love his wife and on and on. And so this is a very important qualification for an elder. So the qualifications, his personal example, is he exemplary? Is he given to stumbling in a lot of these areas or does he persist by God's grace in honoring God by being what he should be? What is his example in the home? If he cannot keep his children submissive, if he cannot love and care for his wife, then he is obviously not a candidate for an elder. If he cannot manage his own household, how will he be able to care for the church of God? That is a tremendous question. And what's his example like in the world? If you're out and about and you're part of one of the boards in the town or you're at the, the store or whatever, you're at the school and you mention this man's name, does an unbeliever consider that person to be a man of character or not? 
But now turn over to 1 Peter with me. 1 Peter chapter 5. So I want to continue answering the question. So we've looked at the qualifications of an elder, but now we need to look at the tasks for which a man needs to be qualified. And as we're turning there, let me insert that a man can be qualified and then several years down the road become unqualified. We call this disqualification from the ministry. If a man cheats on his wife, he has violated the qualification to be a one-woman man. If he develops a problem with alcohol and he becomes a drunk, he has disqualified himself and so on. So as you go on through these lists, yes, a man needs to be kept in check by this. But if he falls away, then he has become disqualified from the ministry. So this is really a, a living set of qualifications that are to keep the elders of the church in check. And so as we move from the qualifications of a shepherd and move to the task of a shepherd, what exactly is the responsibility of a pastor? I think we all probably have opinions and thoughts on exactly what a pastor should be doing. But what, generally speaking, should a man be doing? First Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, here it is, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So this is really, if you understand Peter, Peter, the Apostle Peter writing this, this is really a sweet exhortation coming from a man who himself needed to be exhorted about the flock of God. Remember that the Apostle Peter, he had denied Jesus three times. And then following Jesus' resurrection, Peter and Jesus are having this conversation. And three times, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend to my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Three times, Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. And three times, Peter said yes. And three times Jesus responded, then feed or tend to my sheep. Jesus Christ, as the chief shepherd, is supremely concerned for his sheep. He's supremely concerned for you. And so here within his word, he is exhorting under shepherds, the pastors, shepherds, elders, all the same word. Again, he's exhorting shepherds to care for the flock of God. Peter says in verse 2, to shepherd the flock of God. The word for shepherd here literally means to tend or to feed or to pasture. I know many of you are involved with the lives of animals and you take care of different kinds of sheep and goats and cows and all of that. So it's far different than caring for a cat, isn't it? Right? You put a bowl of food out for a cat and you leave it for a couple days, it'll be fine. But you can't do that with all of your other animals, that you have to tend to them on a daily basis. So the care of cows and sheep and all the rest take daily work. And this is the, the kind of work that a shepherd of the flock of God has. He cares for the sheep, he feeds the sheep, he tends to them, and he protects his sheep. Remember that King David, right, before uh, killing Goliath, he talks about how he protected the flock 
that he was given to take care of. And he had killed a lion and he had killed a bear. And pastors and shepherds are to pro- protect the flock of God as well. This is one of really the great tasks of a shepherd, the defense of the sheep. The Bible talks about wolves and sheep's clothing. So they're wolves and they got this sheep costume on and they come into the church and they begin to destroy the church. And pastors are to tend the flock. They're to care for the clock by protecting care for the flock by protecting it. Yet the other significant part of tending a flock is to feed the sheep. The shepherds of God's church are to have the capacity, again, to to share the word of God with the sheep, to feed the sheep. The sheep who are in need of milk, he should be able to kneel down and feed them the milk of the word. The the sheep that are in need of, of stronger food, they are to be able to hand the food to the sheep in order to This is a huge portion of the pastoral ministry to protect and to feed the flock. But I want to point out and make clear that the shepherd is not the owner of the flock. He is a steward. Verse 2 says that the flock is God's. And before God, the shepherd is responsible for the sheep that have been entrusted to him. So Windsor Christian Fellowship is not Brandon's church. Windsor Christian Fellowship is God's church. And it's imperative that as your pastor, that that is on my mind, that for as God raises more and more men up to lead the church, that doesn't become this like, you are mine. No, this is God's church. And keeping that in mind is so important because we need to realize that we are simply stewards of the church. The church belongs to God and God alone. Why? Because God bought the church. Therefore, God owns the church. Imagine if my vehicle broke down. and You were kind, and you decided that you would allow me to borrow your vehicle for a month, for a certain amount of time. And you overheard me talking about the vehicle with some other people. And every time I referred to your vehicle, I referred to it as though it was mine. You'd probably be a bit confused because the understanding was that I was just going to steward it. I was just going to use it until I got another vehicle. And so it would be strange for you to hear somebody else talk about your car that you're bought, that you bought as though it was theirs. Because the car is yours. You purchased it. It belongs to you. And it's the same with the church. The church of Jesus Christ does not belong to anybody but God alone. And again, it's because he bought it. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has appointed you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So the church belongs to Christ and him alone. And we must always shepherd in a way that reflects that. We must always shepherd and guide and lead in a way that acknowledges that Jesus himself is the one who owns this flock. Peter says in verse 2, as he continues talking about the way an elder should be, or what he should do as task, he says that he's to exercise oversight over the flock. But notice in verse 3, the shepherd is not to lord over the sheep. The shepherd of God's flock, they're not to be domineering. The word here means to, to overpower or to subdue. A pastor is not to lord over his people. Instead, what does Peter say? He's to be an example to them. 
The ministry of the shepherds of the church is not to be a ministry that is under compulsion and that is shoving things down people's throat and to overpower them and to force them in some sort of submission. He's to exercise oversight and he's to guide and to lead and to tend. One person said that pastors are to serve like drafted, or excuse me, one person said that pastors are not to serve like drafted soldiers, they're to serve like volunteers. And so a service of oversight to the congregation is not out of obligation or out of this weird duty. It is out of a willingness of heart. It is a willing service. Shepherding and overseeing, they are closely related. Imagine a, a shepherd standing over a hillside looking at his flock. He's, he's looking at all of them. He's scanning all of them. He's making sure that none of the flock have been hurt. He's making sure that none of them have been lost. He makes sure that the sick ones are being cared for. He makes sure that the hungry ones are being fed. He is overseeing the flock. He is caring for those in his charge. And yet the example for this ministry of the pastor or an elder in a church is none other than the chief shepherd himself. Look in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So the example of our shepherd. How encouraging it is to know that the chief shepherd, Jesus, is constantly looking out over you. He is constantly overseeing his flock. He will one day appear to retrieve his sheep, but for now he is in heaven hearing the prayers of the sheep. He is ruling the sheep. He is caring for his sheep. Jesus is the excuse me Jesus is the only perfect shepherd. He's the only one who always and consistently and perfectly is qualified to shepherd the church. The heart of Christ is the heart of a pastor. We think of even the beautiful images of the Lord as shepherd within the Old Testament. Psalm 23, beloved psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He does all of these things. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All of those ways in which Jesus personally cares for his sheep. Jesus Christ is the chief pastor of the sheep. And he is the greatest example elders and pastors have to look to in order to learn how to care for the sheep. If there's anything that I can promise you, it is that I am going to fail you. As your pastor, I love you, I pray for you, and as I desire to do whatever I can to help you grow in your spiritual walk. But I am going to fail you. And the glorious encouragement that I take here is that our chief shepherd will never fail. This is encouraging to me because I know that I may fail you. And you may have had pastors in the past who have failed you. But the chief shepherd is never going to fail you. No matter where I fall short. No matter where other men whom God raises up to lead the church fall short. Jesus is never going to fall short. He is the supreme example of a pastor. 
He is the perfectly qualified one. He loves and he cares for his sheep in a full capacity. He loving the sheep so much, so much that he gave himself for the sheep. That is how much he loves you. That is how much he has cared for you. He has died for you on the cross. So no matter where I fall short, Jesus will not. And no matter where you fall short, Jesus will not. This is the case for all of us. Jesus is the example of every good thing. He is the ultimate standard. And the wonderful truth is that when I fail and when you fail, Jesus comes and he he brings us in line as his sheep. He lovingly tends to us. He brings us back to the fold. And what does he do? He he nourishes us and he cares for us and he sustains us. And one thing that we don't think about all that often, at least I have to admit, I don't think about all that often, is not only does he do all of that for us as a shepherd, but when he appears, as Peter says, when he appears, he is going to reward us. He is going to reward us. Who are you and I to deserve any of this? For him to take a wicked little sheep and to make us whole, to make us pure, and to give us his life, and to have him constantly looking out for us. And then when he comes back for us, all of this being of his grace, when he comes back to us, he is going to reward us. And specifically within this passage, Peter says that those who shepherd the flock of God, they are going to be rewarded. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. What will that be like? The scriptures talk about several crowns. But Peter mentions for shepherds, for under-shepherds of God's flock, that there will be a crown of glory. Not a crown made out of perishable or or faulty gold, not a, a crown made out of some sort of wreath like an old Olympian would wear, but a crown made out of something eternal, a crown made out of something unfading, a crown of glory. A crown made from the glory of the chief shepherd. So the glory of the chief shepherd will be given to under shepherds. The glory of God as a crown for those whom would serve Christ's church. I think of some of the greatest and most influential people dead and alive in my own life. Those men who have sought to lead the church of God. Men like Spurgeon. And men like William Carey, and men like Martin Luther and Augustine, and even modern day guys like you hear even on the radio, like R.C. Sproul and Alistair Begg and John MacArthur and John Piper. Surely those guys are going to have a crown that beams bright. And so is a man, a well known pastor. Of course, the Lord is going to bless you immensely. But for even the pastors who lovingly shepherd the flock, men whom the world will never know, men whom 200 years ago who were leading the the church in Maine and guiding and directing and pouring themselves into the hearts and lives of people who lived here, God is going to give them a crown of glory. 
the crown of the glory of Christ will shine just as brightly on their glorified brows throughout all eternity. A gracious gift from a gracious shepherd. Our chief shepherd knows the weariness of ministry more than anybody, and he rewards those who would follow him with a crown of glory. Brothers, might God be calling you into this kind of ministry. Men who desire the ministry and are qualified for the ministry and are capable of undertaking the tasks of the ministry should consider the ministry. Maybe not in a full-time way. Maybe God hasn't called you to pastor and preach and be the regular speaking pastor or leader of a church in a senior pastor kind of a role. But maybe as an elder, co-leading the church together with other men who love the church and pray for her and protect her and feed her. My hope is that God in the coming years and decades is going to use this church to, to spread and to send men and women all over the globe who are going to love the church of Christ. Sending men who are going to be pastors and church planners all over this area and missionaries all throughout the world. What a legacy that would be. What a church that would be that is sending those into the ministry. But my hope is that even beyond our church, we can be that kind of church. But even with our own church, that we are raising up more and more people who will give themselves to caring for the church. The church throughout our country is in desperate need of qualified people who will eagerly take up the task of shepherding and caring for the people of God. Men who are willing to give up themselves, not under compulsion, but willingly. Men who will pour themselves out on behalf of people in prayer. Men who will teach and preach the word of God to the congregation. And men who will follow the example of the chief shepherd and lovingly give of themselves on behalf of those who matter, the church of God that he purchased with his own blood. Father, do this kind of work in our midst. We pray that you'll raise up men who will lovingly lead your congregation. Pray for her. Love her in both physical and spiritual ways, serving the needs of the people. You looked out and looked at your own people of Israel and considered them as though they were sheep without a shepherd. And Lord, we need more shepherds. We pray that you'll do this work. Grow pastors' hearts in the heart of our men. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Brandon Dyer, pastor of Windsor Christian Fellowship in Windsor, Maine. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge them or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our church online at www.windsorchristianfellowship.org. There, you'll find sermons and other information about our church. If you have a need or would like further information, call 242-0126 or email us at wcfmaine at gmail.com. Our mailing address is Windsor Christian Fellowship, 11 Reed Road, Windsor, Maine, 04363. 
Windsor Christian Fellowship exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ through the evangelization of unbelievers and the edification of believers so that all might be glad in God.